Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emigan Awardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest in this episode of the podcast is Carol Robin. Carol is a PhD who teaches interpersonal skills to MBA candidates at the Stanford Graduate School of Business in the course Interpersonal Dynamics with her colleague David Bradford. And I asked Carol to join me on the podcast because the idea of breaking down the mechanics and the science, if you will, of interactions with other people with a view to maximizing the outcome of those interactions for both parties really intrigued me. And one of the things I hadn't ever really thought about until I picked up her book, Connect, Building Exceptional Relationships with Family, Friends and Colleagues, is that no one actually really teaches you how to interact with people. And as I'm saying this, I'm sure you can immediately think of interactions that made you feel great and interactions that made you feel bad. And of course, we're all taught manners, but it just became something that I thought, how wonderful that there is a course that unpicks this all and really takes a deep dive into the mechanics of these interactions we have with people and our relationships that we have with others. The course that Carol runs has become legendary and those who have taken it cite it as being absolutely life-changing, which is why I thought Carol's insights might be useful to you, my most excellent listeners. So let me ask you this. Have you ever felt as though your relationship with someone just doesn't feel right? Have you led a job or, or left a job or a relationship and thought, we just couldn't get on the same page? Have you ever wondered why people don't react to you in the way you would like them to? Have you ever put in a lot of effort to make someone like you or to nurture a friendship with someone and it just doesn't go anywhere and you feel rejected? Well, we cover all of this in the episode and Carol actually became known as the queen of touchy-feely uh, during her time teaching this course. So I hope that you find that her, her advice is as warm and as helpful as I certainly did, but clearly as her students do. So in this episode, we'll find out so much, including why being interpersonally effective is the key to both professional and personal success, the importance of vulnerability, curiosity and empathy in building relationships, the risk involved in trying to deepen a relationship, why it's a shame to let fear get in the way of learning and growing, how to pay attention to one's own, own feelings and the feelings of others, 
why we have to get in touch with and have an appropriate feelings vocabulary and why, and listeners, you'll pick up on this in the episode too, because by Jiminy, I really did. Why the why saying I feel must always be followed by a feeling word and so, so much more. I loved, I loved my time with Carol, actually. I found it really, really helpful. And I thought she was a very generous wonderful wonderful guest um you will notice at the very beginning about 10 minutes in we lost internet connection uh carol is in the states i'm in the uk i think we did pretty well otherwise so you might think hmm that sounds a bit odd but i just had to take a few bits out and squeeze them back together so i hope you don't mind and obviously the links to the book which i strongly recommend connect building exceptional relationships with family friends and colleagues is such a fascinating read and i love that i got the opportunity to actually really interrogate carol about the course and ask her how and why it works all of the links to carol the book will be in the show notes you know the drill But for now, please do join me in welcoming Carol Robin to The Emma Gunn Show. Two, one. Carol Robin, welcome to The Emma Gunn Show. How are you? I'm just great. Thank you, Emma. I'm so delighted to speak to you. And before we get into why I'm so excited and delighted to speak to you, would you mind, for the benefit of the listeners, obviously I've done a lovely introduction where we've talked all about your work, but would you mind just saying who you are and what you do? Um, so, um, I am Carol Robin and I am the co-founder of an organization called leaders in tech in San Francisco, California. Um, but I've had six different careers and my most recent really long career was uh, teaching at the Stanford graduate school of business, where I was, uh, both the director of the Arbuckle leadership. Well, I had a bunch of fancy titles. It doesn't (laughs) matter. Basically I taught, I taught leadership. Uh, to a bunch of MBAs. And um, yeah, we'll wow. start there. Okay, so teaching leadership. <laughs> There's so much to unpack here. And obviously, the reason why we're speaking is because you have this incredible book that's just come out. Congratulations. Thank you. Called Connect, which is about building exceptional relationships with family, friends and colleagues. So I guess if you're giving, if you're doing a course at Stanford in leadership to MBAs, business relationships, is that where it starts? Okay, uh, so the course on which the book is based became legendary at Stanford. It's been taught for many decades. My co-author actually was one of the original developers of it. I came, the students, it's called Interpersonal Dynamics. Uh, The students affectionately called it (laughs) touchy-feely. And uh, my co-author, David Bradford, developed the course originally 45 years ago. Uh, 20 years, 25 years ago, I joined Stanford and I was there for almost 20 years and I became known as the queen of touchy-feely. Um, and the, I think the thing that's important to note is that even though it's a course about leadership in a graduate school of business, what, what the students discovered and the reason it became so legendary was that they discovered that being interpersonally effective was the key to both professional and personal success. And so what happened, Emma, is that students, and I still get emails from students a decade later that say, of course they say things like, oh, I just became vice president because of the course. But I also get emails that say, this course just saved my marriage. Or this course just helped me reconcile my relationship with my brother who I haven't talked to in two years. So What's happened is that the lessons from the course help these students become not just better leaders, better human beings, better 
better parents, better spouses, better siblings, better children. And so I guess the obvious question is, well, how? Because um, is it that you help them become more self-aware? Is it, you, is it that you help them become more empathic? Is it, there must be, I mean, what's the secret source to essentially making sure that your relationships with all the people around you, be it uh, your colleagues, your friends, your family, are all operating to their optimal? Yeah. So the first, the uh, so the first, the thing to come to terms with is there is no secret sauce that works for everybody. Uh, so there's, I was raised in Mexico. There's this great saying in Spanish, "Cada cabeza un mundo," which means every head its own world. So the first thing to recognize is that if you're going to be interpersonally effective, you've got to learn how to learn. I have to learn what works for you and me, Emma. And that may be different than what works for my sister, Wendy, and me, or my husband, Andy, and me. Now, that said, there are principles. And there are some things, uh, there, are, there are ways in which we can shift the probabilities that we're going to have a really strong relationship in a good direction. Never any guarantees, but there are definitely things that we can do. And, and there are principles and there are uh, essential uh, skills, actually. And that's, that's, why, that's why we could teach it in a course. That's why we could write a book about it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and we can get into what some of those are, but I want to come back to something kind of fundamental, which is based on the question you just asked. Think of, the, think of each one of us having two antenna. One antenna is picking up signals on what's going on for us internally. Am I feeling comfortable? Am I feeling uncomfortable? Am I feeling relaxed? Am I feeling worried, anxious in my interaction with you? The second antenna is picking up signals on what might be going on for you. Is, you know, uh, the, does she seem interested? Uh, are we making eye contact? Um, are, does it feel even that I speak and then she speaks? And so, any good interpersonal dynamic requires us to be very intentional about listening to the signals on both antennas. Mm. And the more we can, the more we can uh, hone our ability to pick up really subtle signals, uh, the better off we're going to be. And of course, we that happens through practice. One of the really big challenges in writing a book on this very famous course. I mean, literally students talk about it and they, they say it was life-changing, transformative. At every reunion, they say it was worth the entire price of tuition. The school doesn't exactly love hearing that, but, uh, um, but why? Because what they've had is they've had an opportunity to sit in a group with 11 other students, they're put in groups of 12, and hone their ability to, to have both of those antenna pick up signals. So they learn how to learn about themselves and they learn how to learn about other people. And then they're, once they've learned that, then they start practicing it. Once they start practicing it, they start realizing, oh, I can do that with anybody. And the more they do it, the better they get. 
So, and one of the things about that is in the those T groups. Are they called the yes. T groups? Then you encourage the participants to journal. Yes, exactly. So the students sit, meet in these groups. They're called T groups. The T does not stand for therapy. It stands. The T does not stand for therapy. It stands for training. And what the students have an opportunity to learn to do is. Um, in this group, discover what it is, what, what is it that I said to Emma that brought Emma closer to me, but actually distanced John? Mm-hmm. What is it that I said, or how do I show up in ways that uh, are more influential with Jeff, but less influential with Jane? And so, and, and, and of course, they learn by having these interactions. So how to translate that into a book was the big dilemma, which is why it took us four years to write the book. Um, and, and you asked the question about journaling. So at the end of these sessions that the students have live, they have to journal and think about what is it, huh, what is it that was going on for me when I told Emma, blah, blah. And so that's the internal antenna. They're starting to develop ways to pick up internal signals. And then what did I notice happen to Jeff when I said, blah, blah. Now they're starting to hone their external antenna. And the more they unpack what they're learning in their journaling, then the more they're able to ask themselves, oh, I think I'm gonna practice doing X with Emma when we're in group again. Mm -hmm. And that's why the book has these deepen your learning sections at the end of every chapter so that the reader who's encouraged to go do something with what they're learning in the book has a chance to do some of what the students do after they've interacted. Okay, so what I'm quite interested to know then is based on your observations of 20 years of doing this particular course at Stanford is what it was like on day one and what you observed in terms of what antennas, what people's antennas looked like or their awareness of their antenna was like on those first days when they had just been using them without any guidance and just been navigating oh, yeah. life naturally and yeah. how it then evolves. What do, what's, what's something that you notice about the green people who come in on day one? Well, I think that's why they find it so life-changing and transformative because um, they, to your point, they've, been, they've just been operating the way they've been operating. By the way, they didn't get to the Stanford Graduate School of Business by being ineffective. So, Um, they suddenly are sitting in a group and they hear from another student, boy, I thought you were a real jerk in finance. You never made any space for anyone else to to speak. And they've never heard that because nobody's ever told them that because nobody's ever created conditions for them to learn that. And, and so they're, you know, some, you know, that particular person would be like taken aback. All they know is that by speaking up a lot, they've, they've made it. They've become much more uh, seen and effective and uh, powerful. And what they've never known is that they were paying a really big cost. Uh, let, me, let me give you an example, a personal example. And I, I believe this example is in the book uh, of, of, So I was the first woman hired into a non-clerical job as a sales engineer 
in a very large industrial automation organization in 1975. So yeah, I'm old. But the dinosaurs were not roaming the earth, okay? Anyway, <laughs> so uh, I was just out of university. And the first thing that I learned, since I was the only woman, and it was 1975, first thing I learned was, boy, whatever you do, you leave your feelings in the parking lot. Um, if I was going to succeed, I was going to play the game the way the men played it. And the men played it without a lot of feelings. So I learned that and I learned it really well. And it served me really well. And I got promoted and promoted. And anyway, now fast forward 10 years. Now it's 10 years later and I am running a big $50 million region. In those days, that was actually a lot of money. Um, and uh, I've got all these folks that work for me and I'm at an offsite with my executive team. Um, I'm running the 13 Western state region and, and I have some, I've got an idea, something cool that I think we could do and I'm getting crickets and I get a little more excited. I'm like, come on, you guys, this could be fun. Crickets. And then I get even more excited. Like what is, what's going on? What's wrong with you guys? Why can't you see how cool this could be? And one of my guys, because they were still all guys, I did eventually fix that, but not at the point of this story. One of my guys looks at me and he leans in and he says, Carol, is that, is that water in the corner of your eye? Then he says, oh my God, are you going to cry? But then he says, are you human after all? Oh. Are you human after all? And then I did burst out crying. And then I said, I don't think there's anything more important for us to talk about than that. Actually, I said, you don't think I'm effing human? And I used the full expletive. Uh, but I don't know your audience and I don't want to offend anybody. But then I said, I don't think there's anything more important for us to talk about. And I tore up our agenda. And we spent the next two days of our offsite talking about who we were and why we were there and what mattered and what we wanted from each other. And that's when we became a team. And that's when I became a leader. And had I burst out crying 10 years earlier, two weeks into my job, I would have never ended up where I ended up. Mm. But I had overlearned the stoic, never show anything. Uh, you know, Mark Twain used to say a cat never sits on a hot stove twice, but it never sits on a cold stove again either. <laughs> so what had happened was I didn't have any data, new data with which to update my beliefs and assumptions about what made me effective. And so a lot of what the course does and a lot of what the book invites the reader to do is go get new data mm. and update your beliefs and assumptions based on new data, which is transformative if you do it. It's like, oh my God, this thing that I thought was really effective and served me, which it did, the emphasis on the did, is no longer serving me. Mm. And actually, this is probably a good point. Uh, this is the point at which I wanted to start, actually. So I feel like it brings us here quite neatly to the end of the book, which actually yes. uh, talks Except, about- wait, I'm going to have to stop. <laughs> I feel like is not a feeling. One of the things that, that David and I are just dogged about is the word feel, I feel, should be followed by a feeling word. I feel excited. I feel curious. I feel, I feel like I want, not a feeling. Oh, 
Is that like, instead of saying because, saying due to the fact that it's just unnecessary? No, it's because, it, no, it's actually way more core than that. Because one of the biggest interpersonal challenges people have is that they use, they don't understand how to use feelings effectively in building relationships. In fact, there's a reason the students call it touchy-feely. Because the emphasis is on the learning to access and express emotions, which you can't do if you don't actually pay attention to your language. I feel like you don't care is not a feeling, but I bet there's a feeling in there. Oh, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, when I say something like, I feel like you don't care and you do care, I'm probably going to make you feel defensive. And my intent is not to make you feel defensive. Mm-hmm. My intent is to tell you that I'm feeling dismissed. So mm-hmm. notice how different it may land. If I say, wow, when you don't make eye contact and I don't get any response other than a grunt, I feel dismissed or I feel unimportant. Well, if you actually care about me, that's the last thing in the world you want me to feel. Mm. But if I say, I feel that you don't care and you do care, all I'm going to do is have you say, of course I care. And how are we going to get into any kind of a problem solving conversation? It's so interesting. It's so interesting how many things are turned on their head that we believe to be formally true. So for example, how you worked in the workplace, which was to follow perhaps the more male, yes, uh, male behavioral pattern of no emotion. I was talking to people on this podcast two weeks ago about how I've always believed emails to be really functional. They are yes. a very functional exchange of information. And yet I listened to a hostage negotiator talk about the ways in which to email, and he would disagree with that and say, actually, you're the way that you're communicating while efficient is not serving you in the long term, which I think is what you're saying. And also, I'm sure you've heard of the feedback model of the shit sandwich. Yes. One and of the worst disservices to humanity. <laughs> and I only learned this the other day. A friend of mine was on a, uh, a, a course on how to have difficult conversations in the workplace and was told, you've just got to be straight up with people. Don't do the compliment critique compliment right but well yes 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 and (laughs) one step take it one step further which is there's multiple chapters in the book on giving feedback effectively because most people don't do it well they don't know how to do it well they don't do it's not out of malice they just don't know and not only is it if i've got something to say to you because I really appreciate something you do, then I should just say that, period. Mm -hmm. If I have something to say to you because it's problematic, then I should say that to you, period. Mm -hmm. So that that speaks to your shit sandwich. Mm -hmm. However, particularly if I have something to say to you that's problematic, the other problem is, and I'm gonna come back to what I just said about feelings Mm -hmm. and behavior, people, A lot of people who had feedback training, and I put that in quotes because most of it's not that good, uh, have been taught to at least be behaviorally specific, right? When you do X, when you don't hand in a report on time, 
then that's, that's the behavior. Mm-hmm. When you show up to meetings repeatedly late, that's the behavior. But what they then don't do is they don't stay on what we, we don't, they don't do what we say stay on their side of the net, which is the model we use in the, in the course, central to the course, central to the book. And the, the net model essentially says in any exchange between two people, there are three realities. There's what's going on for me, my intent, why I do things, how I see a situation. There's the behavior I engage in. That's reality number two. It's the only one known to both of us. And then there's reality number three, how my behavior lands on you, what your reaction is to it, which by the way, I don't know. So at any point in time, either one of us has access to two thirds of the data. I know my intent, my behavior, you know your reaction in the behavior. Now imagine a metaphorical net between my reality, my intent and my behavior. So I don't show up on time and I don't, and I don't uh, submit reports on time and that's the behavior. And your reaction is probably annoyance, frustration, worry. But instead of saying, you know what, when you don't show up on time and you don't turn reports in on time, I feel worried about whether or not I can count on you. Mm. All of that would be entirely on your side of the net. Instead, what you say are things like, I feel like you aren't committed, which does not have a feeling word in it. And then when you say, I feel like you're not committed, I get defensive. Of course I'm committed. Don't tell me whether I'm committed or not. And that's where a lot of feedback goes awry. So it seems like I feel like is a really bad thing to say in your lecture room. (laughs) Yes, in fact, hand slapping. If we still had rulers, rulers would be on on knuckles. Uh, and, And that's why I stopped you. Because for David and me, it's like nails on a chalkboard when we hear somebody say, I feel like, or I feel that. Because we already know that they're not going to express a feeling. It's grammatically impossible in English to say, I feel like what? I feel like angry. I feel like disappointed. I feel like sad. You can't. It's grammatically impossible. By the way, it's why we had to develop a vocabulary of feelings as part of the syllabus. And it's why it's an appendix in the book because people are so bad at at like even coming up with the feelings. I love it. What is it? Mild, moderate and intense feelings of happiness and sadness. And it's such an interesting appendix actually. And also we are so gonna go around the houses, but it so speaks to the fact that at the moment we have a vocabulary that catastrophizes emotions quite easily. I think where, Uh, and, and and here's the other, so the book is called connect. (laughs) The course is all about learning how to connect. You cannot connect with another human being in the absence of feelings. You cannot connect just around ideas. You want to connect with another person. You're going to have to get into feelings. Okay. And that does bring me to the end of the book, which is where I was so interested to start because the book ends with fear. And the fact that fear limits growth if you let it rule you. 
And yes. the book is all of get again is all about learning and take the risk to learn. And it really is about pushing through the fear barrier. And as we're talking about emotions, that's a really good time to talk about fear because yes. it can be incredibly frightening to say to somebody else, as you say, you only know two thirds of the conversation, two thirds of the dynamic. The realities. Exactly. To say, I feel sad when, or I feel disrespected when, or I feel, if you don't know if that information, which is so important to you, is going to be treated with kindness and compassion and softness. Right. So a couple things. <laughs> the first is fear is often an acronym for false expectations appearing real. Uh, which by the way, if you don't test them, they will always appear real. Mm. Um, we have a model in the book called the 15% rule, which is really important in this regard. And that is, if I'm afraid so we all have the 50% the rule real quickly is three concentric circles. The circle in the middle is our comfort zone. We don't even think about what we're saying. The circle on the outside is your danger zone. You would never in a million years say that. And then there's this really interesting circle in the middle, which we call the zone of learning, because you don't learn anything new by, stepping, by not stepping outside your comfort zone. You stay inside your comfort zone. It's just like I don't know how much people ski in England, but maybe they go to the Alps. Uh, but you know what? When you learn to ski, they put you on a little green bunny slope. They don't take you out to the double black diamonds mm. to learn to ski, but they also don't leave you there because then you don't ever become a better skier. So, however, when we came up with this, the students used to say, but the minute, they used to say to me, Carol, the minute I'm outside my comfort zone, I'm like terrified. I don't know if I'm like in danger zone. How do I know I'm only in learning zone? And I used to say, and David and I came up with this idea of 15%. Try stepping a little bit outside your comfort zone. You'll know, your body will tell you immediately, ooh, that feels a little scary, but you will not have freaked yourself out. Right. You'll, you'll say something that feels a little uncomfortable. It's called 15% outside your comfort zone. And when you try that, A, you learn something, and it's small enough that the world doesn't end. You don't freak yourself out. You're unlikely to freak the other person out. If it goes terribly awry, oh well, it was only a little bit outside your comfort zone. You'll learn something. More often than not, it goes reasonably well and you learn something. And now your comfort zone is redrawn. It's a little bigger. Now you can experiment going 15% beyond that. That's how we learn and grow interpersonally. Just by, is it exposing yourself a little bit more about not? About it's definitely about making yourself a little more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So one of the one of the hallmarks. So we talk about exceptional relationships in the book, yeah. and one of the characteristics of an exceptional relationship. By the way, we're not advocating you turn every single one of your relationships into exceptional. Come back it feels to that. like that would be a lot of, no, it doesn't feel like anything. It seems like that would be a lot of hard work. There you go. Nice catch. And you could say it feels overwhelming. It could. Economy of yeah. language. <laughs> uh, and, and, but the fact is that it's a continuum and you can take any relationship from relatively shallow and not very meaningful all the way to exceptional. Along that continuum, 
the more you are willing to make yourself vulnerable and known by the other, the more you're going to deepen the relationship. And the more you create, and by the way, in doing that, you're also more likely to make it more comfortable for the other person to make themselves a little bit more vulnerable and a little bit more known because vulnerability and disclosure are reciprocal. If I hold my cards really close to my chest, you're going to hold your cards closer. Mm. And then we're going to end up in something we call progressive impoverishment of a social system, which is a very fancy way of saying, I don't tell you and you don't tell me. Because, but you know, we're academic, so we have to come up with fancy words. Uh, <laughs> uh, or at least I used to be an academic. Um, and uh, so I think it's, and, you know, I, I'm a co-founder of this leaders in tech organization that I was talking about, which essentially brings everything I used to teach at Stanford to founders uh, and CEOs in Silicon Valley. Mm. In tech, now actually it's all over the world because People have moved all over the world, but they still want to take our, you know, our programs. But, um, but what, they're, what they're learning, which is the same as what students learned, is that they are paying, they pay such a big cost for not allowing themselves to be known and seen. Not only in not developing relationships that, that have more meaning and more depth, but they also end up trapped in this image that, uh, that they feel like, th that they feel beholden to, mm. that, that they feel trapped by. I'm, I'm the person who's always got it together. Well, how exhausting is that? Now, I also feel compelled to say there is a difference between appropriate context to the context disclosure and vulnerability and Blah, saying anything to anybody. Nobody, nobody's advocating that. Mm. So if I'm the VP of marketing and it's the three months, the third month in a row, we've lost market share. And I'm worried about that. For me to pretend that's not happening does not actually make me more credible. It does not make me a better leader. And for me to stand up in front of the troops and say, well, that's the third month in a row we've lost market share. And boy, I have no idea what we're going to do about it. And I probably shouldn't even be in this job because I'm feeling inadequate. That's not what I'm advocating either. However, for me to stand up in front of the troops and say, well, you've probably all seen the numbers. That's the third month in a row we've lost market share. And not going to lie, doesn't feel good. And I don't know that I've got all the answers. I've got some ideas and I've never needed you more so that we can all figure out what's going on and what to do about it. Now that's vulnerable and it's authentic and it's appropriate. Mm. I like that very much. Okay, going back to something you said earlier about you can't make every relationship exceptional. What about, and sorry to keep throwing what might seem yeah. like um, barriers to your clearly very successful course, but what about this idea of you... Um, you meet someone and you maybe meet them a few times and then you would maybe perhaps say to a friend, we, we just don't gel. We just yeah. got nothing in common. We're just, we're just yeah. not going to get on. Should you listen to that? Or is that being scared and giving into allowing yourself to be defeated before you've even tried? Well, first of all, it's a great question. So you shouldn't be sorry about, uh, about asking anything. Um, 
And I think I'm going to give you an answer that drove our students crazy because they wanted an answer. Mm. <laughs> and the answer is it depends. <laughs> and it depends on a bunch of factors. It depends on how interested are you in getting to know this person? How much work are you willing to invest? How much time have you got? How much upside do you see? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How much... How much cost do you think you'll have to pay to gain the upside? You know, you've, it, it's, it's a calculus. Mm. Um, and, you know, why are you having the exchange in the first place? Um, and is it, and what is there to learn about why it doesn't seem to be going anywhere? Is there something to be learned about me in the way I'm showing up? Is there something to be learned about you and do I have an opportunity to give you feedback, which is data for you on what is, make, what is resulting in my feeling less inclined to want to get to know you better? Think about what a gift that is mm. to someone else. But by the way, why would I tell you that if A, I was afraid what you might do with that information, or B, I'm really not invested in you? <laughs> There is also that. <laughs> there is that. And by the way, we do not, we cannot be invested in everybody. Mm. And we don't have to have an exceptional relationship to have an exchange that feels uh, a bit more human uh, or, or that, that feels more gratifying in the moment. The barista at the coffee shop. You know, I always make a point of saying, so how's today going for you? Not tell me your life story. Um, how, and, and sometimes they'll say, oh, fine. And I'll say, well, what's, th- what's one thing that's made it fine? Oh, interesting. And they'll say, Oh, well, usually they're a little taken aback because most of the time they think the question was a throwaway question and I really didn't care. Yeah. And I want to come back to something that was related to the fear question and it's now comes into play, which is to the extent that I include my intent, 
in because remember that's a reality that I know but you don't to the extent that I include my intent in our interaction then I also give you more information so I say to the barista I'm asking you because I'm really genuinely curious I wonder what it's like to be trapped behind that table that you can't go beyond and nobody can go beyond to see you these days um, and you know, I'm really interested in how people are coping these days, and in particular, how you are. Now they know why I've asked. Mm-hmm. Now they're a little bit, and you know what? It's, it hasn't turned into a two-hour conversation. There was nobody behind me, so I'm not making it hard for someone else to get their order in. I'm the only person there. They're the only person there. Why would I not do a little something to brighten their day? Mm. And by the way, in brightening their day, I brightened mine. And I learned something. Yeah. And then bringing, bringing it back to fear as well, just to go onto that point. Before we started recording, I said, no one ever teaches you a right or wrong way to interact with people. And you said, because it's not that black and white, essentially. But what I found really interesting, now I've had time to percolate yes. that idea is this idea that with fear as well, if you get by and you've got adequate relationships, there's there's no real incentive necessarily to improve them. You get on fine with your family, you get on fine with your friends, you don't feel like anyone's really missing out on anything, you don't feel like you're missing out on anything. What's the incentive to move forward? And actually I would say, it's quite scary to then think, I could actually make some changes and have better relationship with my mom and dad or I could make a few changes and get a much deeper connection with my brother but that's all going out of the comfort zone yes which by the way is the only way you learn and grow Mm. so you know I'm thinking of doing a LinkedIn post that says we're either learning and growing or we're dying well that that kind of says it (laughs) you know uh and so and, and I think that you're, you made an interesting point about if I have an adequate relationship, well, do you, do you want something more than adequate? And by the way, if adequate is enough, well, then that's fine. But is adequate, well, not but, I don't, I hate the word but, and. And is adequate because, you know, but always denies everything that came before the but. So I always like when I'm trying to make a point, it's and. Then my first point was a good one. And I've got a second one to make, not but. I like that, stealing that. Okay. So you're more than welcome. Uh, I think that's in the book too. Um, (laughs) And I might find myself curious and excited about the possibility of taking one of those a little deeper or two of those a little deeper and then discovering that that actually turned out to be really cool and and uh, you know fulfilling and more meaningful and so then i might want to experiment with another one or that might be enough i i just think that it's a shame to let fear get in the way of learning and growth and if you look at little kids, they don't know to be afraid yet. Mm. That's why they keep learning and growing. And well, then we socialize them to be afraid to 
be really direct, to use their feelings, to do all the things that we now have to train, you know, MBAs and humanity through a book to put back into their lives, which they had when they were little. One of the things I've really noticed, and it's definitely something that's cropped up in vocabulary in my lifetime, is this whole idea of where there's a blame, there's a claim, that kind of culture, which means that actually one of the words that we're perhaps most frightened to say or reluctant to say is sorry. Oh, you are so right. And it is such an important word to learn to say, a, a feeling to express. I am sorry is a very powerful uh, bridge to another person. And I feel as though it uh, confuses that connection with our own accountability and the, the effect that we can have on ourselves and also the effect that we can have on others if we don't acknowledge the things that we may have done that would have hurt someone else. Right even if that was not what we ever intended. And, and, you know, and, and I'll come back to why feel, feelings are, are so important because we can't really connect in the absence of feelings. Mm. Uh, and I said this earlier, but I'm gonna come back to the fact that they're expressing vulnerability like hurt, shame, uh, disappointment, sadness, um, are all connecting feelings. By the way, so is happiness, joy. Uh, those, you know, when I tell you about that and I express that to you, I let you into a part of me that connects to a part of you. Even if you wouldn't feel sad under the circumstance that I'm feeling sad about, you know sadness. And we can connect around the feeling of sadness, which is what empathy is rather than whatever the, the thing is that's making me feel sad, which you might not relate to. Mm. What if you are open and you talk and you share yeah. your emotions and you feel as though they're rejected? How can you protect yourself? You feel, from- you feel as though they're rejected is not a feeling. You feel rejected. Oh, <laughs> and you feel rejected. Do Is there a practice that you can learn so that when you are expressing your emotions and being vulnerable, that then if they aren't accepted, that you don't feel the pain of that? I don't know that there's an, I don't know that you want to not feel the pain. Do you really want to dull yourself? I don't think so. But what I will say is that's one of the reasons we start with 15%. If I tell you a little bit and I've made myself a little vulnerable and I haven't felt heard and I haven't felt met, emotionally met, I'm probably not going to go another 15%. Mm. And so that's one way for me to take care of myself. If on the other hand, you do respond in a way that feels comforting and that feels uh, affirming and, and encouraging, then I'll share another 15%. So it's tippy toes, it's testing the water. It's testing the water, absolutely. And you know, some people get, you know, they do 15%, they're like, wow, that really went well. And then they go 50% and they're like, oh man, that was too much, uh, <laughs> ratchet it back. Um, and, but now we're, you see, we're back to this whole idea of learning. Mm. Test, learn, test, learn, update, 
up, update mental model, update belief and assumption. Oh, if I do this, you're going to say that. Oh, it turned out you didn't. Oh, new data point. And that's that's why the, the it's a process. It's a process to learn to become more and more uh, interpersonally adept. And we haven't talked about conflict at all. But if we go back to one of the hallmarks of an exceptional relationship is we handle conflict productively. Mm-hmm. It's not we don't ever have any conflict. It's we it's we handle conflict productively and it leads to learning and growth. Then, um, boy, you're really ne- never going to get there if you can't get past the fear. Mm. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. And I hope I'm going to speak for myself here. And I hope I, in so doing, I'm representing maybe what some listeners are feeling, which is that I have definitely felt. Hang on, I'm just going to check myself. Yeah, you can pull I out have, your book and turn to the appendix. I have um, previously believed that yes. a good relationship is one that is conflict free, is always is always at the same level. And I'm ashamed to say this because I'm learning, a, a friend of mine said to me about two months ago, I thought that a relationship with a friend was on the outs. And she said, I can't believe that you think it's on the outs. It's just the ebb and flow of friendship. Yes. And I would say, I would say it's just the process of learning and growing <laughs> together. Yes. So friendships, relationships, don't always have to be at the same speed in order for them to be of value in order to, in order for them to be perceived as good, healthy, exceptional, any of those things. Yeah. In fact, uh, it's probably a disservice to, to ourselves to it's actually, I think a disservice to, you know, I've been married 35 years. We are still learning things about each other. We are still discovering things about each other. And how exciting is that? Uh, David and Eva have been married 55 years. They're still learning and growing and discovering some, you know, stuff. And, and by the way, part of the reason is that we're all works in progress. So who I was 20 years ago is not the same person I am today. And so what you learned about me 20 years ago, some of it's still relevant. Some of it isn't anymore. Um, and so to the extent that we're each works in progress all the time, there's always opportunities for us to be learning and growing about, about each other, learning about each other. And if we're going to actually be that open and vulnerable with each other, we are going to have conflict. We are going to have things that come up unintentionally. Nobody ever goes into saying or doing something because we want to make someone else feel bad. But it's it's unavoidable. There uh, and and it's unavoidable in terms of like pinches, what we call pinches. There's a whole chapter on it in the book, which is you do something that's just mildly annoying. You know, we live together, especially now during COVID. You know, you do something that's mildly annoying, and you have a choice. By the way, that's underline three times it's all about choice Mm. and all we're doing in the course and in the book is expanding your toolkit so you have more choices choices of how to deal with things and process things choices on how to show up in the world with other people 
choices on how to deepen or not deepen, choices on how to deal with conflict, choices on what to say, when to say it, whether to say it, uh, choices on how to learn and grow. And so we have a pinch, you know, that's the third time you've done something that's annoying. Now, when, when, I, when you do something that's annoying, I have a choice. My first choice is to say, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm not going to say anything. And you know what? A lot of times it's not. And I don't say anything. And it's fine. But let's say it's now the fifth time you've done it. And I find myself getting a little bit more annoyed every time you do it. Are you better off knowing that you're doing something that's irritating me or not knowing? And if I'm afraid to tell you, are we better off? No, because you're going to keep doing it and I'm going to get more and more annoyed. Mm -hmm. So if I say, ah, you know, Emma, that's the fourth time you've interrupted me. You didn't, by the way, but let's say that's the fourth time you've interrupted me. And I'm finding myself getting a little more irritated every time you do it. Then you can say, oh man, I didn't even realize I was doing that. And then you can say, oh, if I do that again, will you tell me in the moment? I could say, yes, we're done. It doesn't turn into a huge conflict. But if I don't tell you, and now we have many conversations, and now we're six months into having been working together, and every time we have a conversation, I'm a little more irritated, it turns into what we call a crunch. And now you interrupt me and I blow up. Damn it, stop interrupting me. It's the first time you've ever heard that. Mm -hmm. And you're thinking, whoa, what's wrong with Carol today? So we, you know, we don't really do ourselves any favors by not naming pinches. And then of course, feedback is another version of this that we talked about earlier, which is if I'm sitting on data about what you've done that is hurting our relationship and I care about our relationship, why would I not tell you? Mm. And I would have to say, you know, that this, this, this example is in the book and we're probably almost out of time. So I don't know that I have time to, to go through it all, but, no, no, go ahead. but you know, when my, when my husband, this is many, many years ago, when my husband used to come home from a long day in Silicon Valley, and I was home with a with a two-year-old and an infant desperate for adult interaction, and he would settle down in the on the chair and pick up the newspaper. And I would hear him from the back of the house and I'd come zooming around the corner and say, oh my God, your whole thing, God, you won't believe what happened today. And all I would get from him is a grunt. Hmm. No eye contact, he'd be looking at his newspaper. And I'd say, you're not listening. And he'd say, yeah, I am. And then I would say, and then he'd repeat what I just said. Yeah, you went to that new nursery school, hasn't opened, you're all worked up. And then I would feel infuriated. And then I would say things like, you're so insensitive. By the way, you're so insensitive is not feedback and it's over the net. Mm. Um, it wasn't until I learned to say, when I have a need to chat about something important to me, and you make no eye contact, and the only thing I get back is a grunt. I don't feel heard. Mm. That's on my side of the net. And when I don't feel heard, I feel hurt. And it makes me less inclined to want to be there for you. So my intent in telling you this is that I'm feeling distanced by this. Now, all of that's on my side of the net. He can't say, no, you don't, or 
And then I've given him an incentive to do something because he cares about me and he loves me. And by the way, to tell to 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 call to name to tell Andy he's insensitive is the most is the most unfair thing in the world because he's one of the most sensitive men in the, on the planet. So then he says, well, if you want my undivided attention, then you've got to give me some time to unwind when I get home. And I say, oh, how much time do you need? He says, I don't know, half an hour. I'm like, half an hour? I was going to suggest five minutes. <laughs> now, we, now we've moved into a problem-solving conversation. Well, what, what, what can you live with? 15 minutes is what we, where we landed. But the point is that we provide feedback to each other in, in, the, uh, in service of the relationship because we want the relationship to feel strong and robust and functional. And, if, and the purpose of feedback like that, constructive feedback, is to move into problem-solving conversations. It's not to change somebody. Well, this is what I was going to come to. What I was thinking about a conversation I had with a previous guest, Alison Hogg, who's run a ton of businesses, and we were talking about the amount of times you have to say something before you should have any expectation for it to then be actioned by your team. And <laughs> now I think you and I, Carol, might be a little bit similar and for you in 1975 and me uh, now is that if you tell me to do something, I'm going to do it because- Absolutely. I've already played on that, but Alison said, you have to say something six times. I'm like, what? I beg your pardon? And then, then they might enact what you are asking for. And I was thinking about when you were just talking about the times when you might say to somebody, it really bothers me, blah, blah, blah. And I'm saying you might go at it, one might go around it in a clunky fashion because they haven't read the book or done your course. And yet, you're expressing as best as you can the knowledge that you have to somebody. When you do that, I'm upset or I, X, Y, or Z, all of these things that we know might not be the most effective way, but they still don't change. At what point do you stop saying it or try a different approach or just give up on that particular dynamic? We're gonna go back to it depends, which <laughs> you're gonna hate. Um, and people change for their reasons, not yours. Mm. Very few people get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, I wonder how I can be a worse colleague today than I was yesterday. I wonder how I can make even more trouble for Emma today than I did yesterday. Most people believe they are being good citizens, believe they're being good colleagues. So what I would say is, if you're just saying the same thing over and over and over again, and the other person isn't responding. Here's, here's like one of the most important takeaways from the course in the book, get curious. I wonder why this person is not responding. Do they not hear me? Do they not see it as important? Am I asking for something they can't do but they don't wanna say? Just saying it over and over again, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't understand that. Mm. And, uh, and believing that you have to say it six times before they're going to say anything, I'm not, I'm not sure who's served by that. Mm. Believing you have to understand what would motivate them to do something you've asked for. I'm all over that. 
Uh, there was a brilliant piece uh, in a magazine recently, and it was written by an editor of a magazine, and it was written anonymously. But I could really relate to a lot of it. It was somebody who had had a very wonderful and quite stratospheric rise to an editor position from writer and was talking about having left the industry or having left that particular title, how she realized the negative um, impact she was having on her staff. Because when she would say, this is your role for this issue, and this is what I would like you to do. If it wasn't done in the way that she had asked for, or wasn't done on her timetable, she interpreted it, interpreted it as a sign of disrespect. That person has chosen not to fulfill my brief, as I explicitly said, and has chosen not to do it on my timetable as a as to, to show me how little they respect me. Talk about being over the net. <laughs> she had no idea what was going on for that other person. Mm. Which she admits she's been very, she's come full circle. But it's interesting because I feel, when I read that, I was so pleased to see it in print because I feel as, I feel seen in that. Good. <laughs> oh gosh. Honestly, even via an internet connection, I can feel, I have, I can feel your, can I feel your gaze? When, can I say it in that way? You, you may. Okay, I'm just double checking. <laughs> um, the scrutiny, I'm going to be very careful about how I use that expression moving forward. But I was very pleased to see it because I, I do think that that is not an uncommon feeling and how people sometimes show up and then interact with other people. And I thought it was incredibly honest of her to say. Absolutely. So you probably, yeah. Uh, and even on print and a person you don't know, I bet you felt drawn toward. Mm. There's a lesson in that. Mm. The vulnerability made, yeah, because actually, yes, you're absolutely right. I did 100%. So if someone's listening to this and they've heard, I mean, obviously I would highly recommend that they read the book and it's actually, I would say as much as it's a book and it's packed with so much information. I mean, there's 20 years of experience and this course that I know you do condense. Actually, into... it's a collective 70 years of experience between David and me. <laughs> yes. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's 20 years that the course was at, is at Stanford. Is that right? No, of course, it's been there for 40 years. Oh, well, I need to stop saying 20 years then. Yeah. <laughs> but I know that you also condense it down into a week. Uh, but I feel as though, oh, no, I don't feel as though anything. <gasps> I'm really learning today. But if someone's listening to this and they are thinking, I want to take my relationships forward. I've actually learned a lot from this conversation. I can see some of the errors that I'm making. I can also see some areas where I'm really thriving. What would be your advice for somebody if they're listening to this and they think, actually, I do want to have some exceptional relationships and see if I can have them. What would be the, the one most crucial crystal bit of advice that you could give them? Um, so, so obviously you just, you said, you know, go buy the book, but I, but, I, but I will add to that. Choose a person in your life that you would like to deepen your relationship with. Choose one, not the most difficult, impossible one, the person you feel the most distant from, but you know, one where you think there could be more and actually read the book together. 
Interesting. That's really interesting. Well, <laughs> double book sales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know it sounds like a sales ploy, but it honestly, it's called interpersonal dynamics. Mm. Takes two to tango. And so you're so much more likely to make headway if two of you have decided to go into this together. This is one of the other things that was on my list is you've got these people who do the course, they come out of it, they tell you 10 years later, you've changed my life, you've changed my life. But if you see the matrix of interpersonal relationships from doing this course, does that then mean that you're the one who's always doing the work? Could that potentially become exhausting? Or is it actually by doing the work, it's less work to actually maintain these relationships? I, I think, well, first of all, most of those students go on to bring those lessons into their organizations and their families. But by the way, I've gotten hundreds and hundreds of emails from former students saying, oh, thank God you finally put this book out, right? Because it's a little less work for them <laughs> to be able to hand the book to somebody and say, would you please read this? Um, I mean, I, I've got students who bought a book for every person on their team, for every CEOs who bought one for every person in their company, uh, because it's a whole lot easier for them to do the, to, to, to create the cultures they're trying to create by having, you know, an aid like that. Um, I, do, I do also think that it's less work for them to be armed with the tools because they have more choices. Mm. Um, and so they don't feel like they're beating their head against the wall quite as much. And yeah, to the yeah. extent that they, that they are invested in some of these relationships and they've, they've taught the people in their lives, some of this stuff, they've taught people about the net and staying on their southern net. They've taught people about, I feel, insert feeling, they, right? Um, and once they have, they've made a little headway but that's why they're like, oh my God, I, I have, you know, I have to read you this. You, you, you can do whatever you want with it, but I have got to read you this because it is just the, the coolest thing. I get a text from a former student. Okay. And she says, uh, and, and the, and the text has a picture of her, of her dad holding the book. Nice. Okay. And, and it says, I just had the sweetest conversation with my dad who bought your book, wants to facilitate conversations with his men's group from the Mankind Project based on every chapter and wants to use what's taught in the book about being more open and vulnerable to get out of old patterns, show more of himself and to have a better relationship with me. That's great. That doesn't, that doesn't make you burst out crying. I don't know what does. That's wonderful. That must be incredible to get messages like that. Well, it's like I said to you at the start of, before we started recording, I really do feel as though I had a million questions and that we could have gone down so many roads here because our relationship's so important to us. And I'm so grateful that we were able to go on this journey today and discover Absolutely. the course, discover and really learn from your expertise. And I hope you're open to potentially coming back and maybe answering listener questions about relationships. Absolutely. I think that would be absolutely. Um, I'd be delighted. 
Carol, thank you so much for your time. It has honestly been a pleasure to speak to you. I feel motivated, invigorated, and delighted by our time together. Excellent. Well done, Emma. And Emma, when you have the recording, send it to me if if it's a link that you want me to put on our website, on our book website. I will do. Thank you so much. I will put the link to Carol, to the book and everything that we've discussed in the show notes. The one thing you need to know, you can get a physical copy, you can get a Kindle copy, and it's also an audio book. Yes, which David and I read. Oh, wonderful. Okay. So if you've loved Carol's voice, then you're definitely going to love the audio book. (laughs) All the links will be in the show notes, but Carol, Robin, thank you so much for joining me. Likewise. Take care, Emma. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Carol and me. If you would like to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from you. You can always DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I'm at Emma Guns. Or if you want to speak to me and thousands of other listeners of this podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook group. It is a wonderful, warm, open, chatty space. And we would love to see you there. So please don't hesitate to join. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Bye.